0: Mario, Rand, Rand. Hey, how are you, sir? Good man. How's your show? Fantastic. I was, I was just telling I was just telling Fred uh, how much I hate your life, especially after seeing your tweet today. Which, which one is that? The tweet today, the one I retweeted. The ah, um, uh, yeah, not. Look, it's not about you being. Your intention was to show yourself as a hero, that's like a hustler working hard, but I'm like, man, this guy has a depressing life.
1: Yeah, no, no, it it actually wasn't uh, to to make it a zero. I'm just saying, you know, when we when we decided to join up on the on, on Twitter Spaces, it was a massive decision for you because what it means for those of you who didn't read the tweet, what it means is that I I mean I I have a one hour content call every morning, and that's the whole company is on the call, and then I, pre- I prepare for the spaces and the show. It takes me about two to two and a half hours. Then I do a show, which is an hour, and then I do spaces. So I'm broadcasting for six and a half hours a day. And that means, you know, six and a half hours a day, that's before I start actually running the business. You know, so like, for me, every day, I start off at negative six and a half hours. And then I start building a business. You're pretty much the same because, Laura, you're on the spaces like, like I, don't know, I don't know, six hours a day, seven hours a day. So it's very hard to run a business and, and be a host at the same time and make content at the same time. But I chose it because I thought this platform would be amazing and I think uh, you know, yesterday you know, when we get um, uh, spaces like the one we did yesterday, then it just, you know, it just it just uh, reinforces why I did it because I think we both bu- we built between you, Scott, and I, we built the biggest daily crypto platform in the world today,
0: which is I think it's a it, it's a huge feat. You enjoyed the feedback you got after yesterday's space. I got a lot of credit, man. You got a lot of credit. Lot of feedback, I've got a lot of journalists calling me, and I've got a
1: lot of friends calling me. I got just a lot of them said was one of the best places I've really ever heard, so and I really enjoyed it actually. I actually, actually I don't, you probably know, you probably felt that I was actually I was really enjoying
0: the space. Yeah, no, it's very rare for you to pay attention for that long, I'll be honest. And you, you yeah. I'm sure you agree with me, you know what I'm talking about because you yeah. just lose. You lose interest really, really quickly. But there's something about those spaces where it's like a personal discussion. Like I enjoyed the one. I got similar feedback to the one with Imran Khan. And the reason I got it is that it just became like a personal chat. Like you're literally sitting on like a coffee table at night and just having a very sincere discussion. I've had a few of them obviously because I've done so many spaces. But that's the cool thing about spaces. There is no camera. There's no setup. And then people open up a lot more because they feel like... I always use Robert Wolf as an example. Robert always says um, calls the space a call. Like, guys, can I jump on the call? Or when's your call? Or oh, it was a really good call? And calls are more personal. It's like you're speaking to someone face to face. So that's the beauty of of um, of um, of audio rooms. It feels like a one on one call. And uh, and and you kind of saw the yeah. beauty of it in that in that space. You know. Also, to be honest, like I really like
1: the story. Of, of, I, I liked yesterday's story. The reason why I like it. it. Yeah, you're dealing with, in my opinion, an entrepreneur who tried really hard to make money and succeeded. I mean, you know, you take any guy that taken $20 million and turned it into $5 billion, regardless of whether you like him or, or don't like him, and regardless of whether he, he at the end of it succeeded or didn't, at some point, the guy took $20 million and turned it into $5 billion. and And that, that is a huge success. And then listening to how it all collapsed. Now, I know what it's like to lose much less than that. And the fall from grace is is hard. It's difficult. I can't imagine what he went through. And also, to be honest, it was kind of nice to to. I respected him for facing such a large audience, which he didn't have to do, and he, he faced a large audience, which was which was
0: really good. I that I yeah, this is. I, I agree with all the other credit. This one's pretty lame. Like he's doing it like a year after the incident, year year and a half. It's not the hard. And he's doing it to shill his new project. So that one I wouldn't take. But I agree with the other two. Correct. When he had, when the time was to face the music, was then he was sitting in Bali on the beach. And again, I'm not I'm not saying this to be critical. I'm just kind of being realistic. Like, would I do the same? Would I face the music? Um, or would I just let it quiet down? He probably made the right decision letting it quiet down. Um, but I wouldn't give him credit for jumping on now when he has yeah. a new exchange.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just, I, I like the story a lot. You know, I, as, as you know, I'm mean, investing in the exchange. I wish him the best of luck. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that it's going to work, I'm not saying that anyone should invest. It's like yeah, I wish them the best of luck. I really want. I'd love to hear the story of how they bounced up again, and you know they've but got like uh, good. To, uh, they've got some uh,
0: things where they say they're going to make good for the for the old creditors um, with no real obligation. To do I that. I prefer I prefer to have that sentiment. Like I, again, yeah, I'm 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 tend to be more objective and and a bit less critical, but I'm being critical just kind of not only to balance it out, but i would say like i'd be more empathetic with projects that were building back in the bear market and their talking got crunched and vcs don't give a shit about them because they didn't like they, they they're the entrepreneurs i tend to admire these guys are still sitting on a lot of money and they made a lot of money in a very short period of time i think there's a lot of what i like the most about the space is how you broke down their entire journey and more importantly like kind of linked it to the audience on what they can learn. Because these guys made a fuck ton of money in a short period of time. It's like, what are the learning lessons that we can apply ourselves? And then what are the lessons to prevent the implosion you guys went through? Um, that's what I like. The way you structured it from the beginning of their journey um, to, the, to the implosion up and down. So that's... Um, yeah. The, le- the, you know, lesson,
2: the, the lesson is that if you fly too close to the sun too fast, you will explode no matter who you are, no matter at what level. Uh, I mean, I, I only I thought that... Uh, uh, Rand no, I... absolutely incredible job. I think that, uh, you know, listen, obviously,
0: we were all getting endless feedback in the background. Telegram. Let me let me ask Raul, Raul, our special guest today. Let me just jump into it directly. Raul, what are your thoughts on did you hear yesterday's space or no? If not, that would kind of be a, a bummer.
3: Yeah, sorry, it's a bummer. I wasn't,
0: oh, have okay, It was, it was one of Rand's uh, better spaces, um, because he, he really enjoyed it, and it was just a discussion between him and Kyle from uh. Three hours capital. But it's pre- probably the deepest conversation, at least, that I know of uh, since the
3: implosion. And it, was, it got a bit personal as well. But um, yeah, it's a shame you, you didn't work. Yeah, yeah, all stories are complicated. There's there's one side's narrative, the protagonist's narrative, and then somewhere in the middle is the truth. And that always makes these, hey, very interesting, but also very difficult to know where you lie on the emotional line when you hear stories. Do you remember, do you remember,
0: do you remember the witch hunt that we saw back when Three Arrows fell and Luna fell and FTX fell? Like people were calling for the death of these people and obviously they were receiving death threats, uh, but it was insane times. The amount of animosity and hate towards those people, I'm not saying it's warranted or not warranted, was just mental. It was so, such an emotional time, especially when FTX was collapsing.
3: Yeah, but also it didn't. As you kind of alluded to, they didn't help themselves by kind of fleeing the scene. You know, there was investment. They just didn't stand up and say, listen, this is what's happened. And so I think I agree. You know, that's what creates anger. Because look, everybody can fail. Failure is a normal part of life, but it's how you fail that's the important part.
1: Yeah, Rala. Well, uh, I must agree with you. I mean, look, then no one's perfect. I'm not standing up for them. I think CZ's got a great approach that he's, you know, always been very transparent. Even before the case, he becomes transparent. So I think what they adopted the other side of it, which was complete silence. One thing I did actually quiz um, on I said, look, you know, he said when the whole thing went down, he went and sat on a beach in Bali. And I was like, I can't imagine just having lost so much money and then just going to lie on a beach. I think if anything, I'd lie in a mental institute, and if not in a mental institute, I'd find yeah, I, I just can't imagine. I think they're sitting on the well, beach. I, know, I think, I think I have my
3: mental, the beach is my mental institution. You know, exactly. It's uptime. I go to Little Cayman, my house over there, walk the beach. There's nobody there. And some sort of calm comes over you. It's a meditative place. So, yeah, I get it. I agree with that. But if you
2: recall at the time, Suzu was also tweeting about, like, lessons learned in Zen philosophy of surfing. And you see, here's my problem. I agree with everything that everyone said where my point is that there's still zero remorse for the retail side of it. And I get that they're institutional facing and all of that, but the fact that they're not cognizant of where that came no, from not, and, and whose money, I think at least there has to,
1: I, at some point, I'm go, gonna yeah, I feel bad about it. I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back because I think you're emotionally
0: invested because you, you had money in Origin. and you lost. I'm not, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not emotionally invested in that degree, but please do push back.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put it back. I'm gonna say, look, they didn't take money from retail investors. They took money from lenders. Lenders have agreements with retail investors, which are not really their problem. And the lenders, in the, in my opinion, the lenders here were super negligent and super greedy. And that's got nothing to do with Sue and Carl in this case.
0: Uh, I think they they're no. I don't, agree. Fa- I no, agree. don't agree, I agree, Scott. No, no, you don't, Scott. Like
2: it's no, no, no. I, I, I agree that they are responsible for the losses directly of those people because they simply took money what i don't agree with is that they shouldn't at least feel remorseful no. or feel some connection or oh,
0: even over even the first even people. the facilitation scott like if you jump so if someone else is hosting a show and promoting scam projects you know those are scam projects you can join as a speaker and bring attention to it but say hey i'm just a speaker and i'm there to talk about a specific point Now if i'm bringing attention to a scammer that's not my problem um, now, obviously, it's not a direct comparison, but I'm saying that like they played yeah. a role in the mess. And, and I, I, he, he, frankly,
2: yeah. I mean, he literally was like,
0: yeah, we were lending
2: to Celsius, Voyager, these hedge funds. Yeah. Right. That's what he said. You know, those are not hedge funds. Now, how we know, well,
1: now. But now we know the hedge funds at the time, maybe he did, maybe he didn't sure. the hedge funds at the time. At the time, no one knew the, No one knew the situation at the time. At the time. You know, that, and also to be honest, the reason why I'm why I'm why I'm sticking up specifically on this point is I'm saying what we got out of it yesterday, and until we hear anything different, is they didn't do anything fraudulent or scammy. They just i agree. that one is, uh, that one I agree, I agree
0: with as about. well. Yeah, but that, that's, uh, you, you know, go ahead, let's uh, ahead Raul. the conversation. It. On the let let's get let's, get, let's get, let, I want to get Raul's final
3: thoughts on it before we get into yeah, the discussion. I, we saw very similar early in my career back in 1990 seven, eight was the collapse of long-term capital. And I've drawn this parallel many times is long-term capital were the biggest client of everybody on Wall Street. And when somebody's so big, you need to ask the questions as what the hell are they doing? And the leverage that they used to employ their strategies, like three hours capital, was obscene. And when something went wrong, the whole thing unraveled and it unraveled the entire financial system and the Federal Reserve had to come in and cut rates. What was interesting is on Real Vision, we had Victor Hagani He's a lovely guy who was one of the founders of long-term capital, zero remorse. Um, and also, um, you know, John Merriweather, who set up long-term capital, then set up another fund afterwards with kind of zero remorse, even though it did hurt a lot of people. It's also a kind of a function of financial markets where you have winning trades and losing trades. It's weird. I don't, again, I don't think it's right, but it's not, I don't think it's their fault. Um, yes. Their fault is they should never have used the leverage that they did, and it really is the fault of the uh, of the CIFI platforms for using leverage in the way that they did.
1: It's the fa- it's the fault of the CFI platform and the
0: system as a whole.
1: It's the one- well, fault of the regulators for not having regulation in place to
0: to not allow these people to be that leverage. I, I that that was always. That always annoys me. Not with Uran with crypto in general. It's like when regulators come in during a bull market, like, "Hey, leave us alone. Let us do our thing. We know what we're doing. Don't ruin it for us." And then when the market crashes, like, "Hey, where are you? You're the reason the market crashed." I'm not referring to Uran. I'm just referring to j- to the general narrative that's happened in yeah. 2017, yeah. 2019, yeah. But let's um, let let's. It, yeah, I was, yeah. I, was yeah. I was wondering what we to pivot to the actual. Topic. <laughs> you reach out. we're about to now. Let's
1: talk Yeah, let's talk about uh, today's topic, and I think that a good place to start with today's topic is I just finished my show, um, and I did the show very simply saying, you know, we're in a raging bull market, you can choose to look for reasons why we're not, and you can choose to talk about this recession that may or may not come in Q4, or you can just accept the fact that we're in a raging bull market and position your portfolio accordingly, and I did my show today about talking about just accepting the fact that we're in the bull market. And, you know, just position yourself accordingly. And this bull market is going to be very different from from uh, from the previous bull markets. And I believe that Raul shares
3: the same sentiment, I think. Raul, am I right? Uh, very much. And I shared that so- same sentiment over what I think was the bottling period, the end of crypto winter, which started in June after the three hours capital and Luna, and then was kind of confirmed in November uh, with FTX and ETH not making a new low, a bunch of the indicators that I look at, which is forward-looking liquidity indicators, were starting to turn higher. Crypto, I find, tends to be a leading asset as opposed to a lagging asset. So it, along with technology stocks, tend to lead uh, the cyclical bull market coming out of these kind of uh, negative cycle episodes. I'd noticed that it that it kind of kissed the long term uptrend. Things were kind of two standard deviations oversold This is the monthly kind of log channel. So everything was in place. Now, the narrative has remained negative most of the way through, but that's pretty normal, right? It's the wall of fear. That's the first part of a bull market, which we might call crypto spring, is when there's the denial. The the PTSD. That's 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 the PTSD phase.
1: Yeah. The PTSD phase is people can't accept the fact that we're in a bull market because they're so badly
3: beaten in the bear market. That's right. And, you know, if you look at many of these tokens are up of the the major stuff that I focus on, they're up over 100% from the lows. Okay. 100% in crypto is kind of 20% in equity terms, that kind of, you know, because the difference in volatility, that's pretty much in line with what's happening in the NASDAQ, which is also a massively hated market that goes up every single day because people don't want to believe it because they're trying to trade macro data on the today When actually it was all priced in in the past. And I've tried to spend a lot of time explaining to people who don't see it, is there's, there's relationships between assets and business cycles. And we found that most things like the NASDAQ priced in a full recession last year by November, a full and deep recession. So therefore, if it's already priced it in, then the marginal rate of change has to be more positive. And rate of change drives markets and it's driven positive. So I'm just, you know, I'm just in the basic buy and hold mode. And, you know, if I get liquidity and so, stuff and other than that, I don't do anything.
1: So Masa, I must say, you know, you've been on my show a few times and I followed your stuff. I've actually just recently am a subscriber to your Real Vision platform. By the way, just for anyone who's listening, um, we will post a link to Raul's channels, but it's probably the best subscription that you can make is to subscribe to Real Vision and and, and, and to Raul's other platforms. Um, I've been following the platform's, i will 100% right that he did actually call the recession. And I think that that's the main point. The main point is that I think the market is seeing right through this potential recession. So yes, we may have a recession in in Q4, maybe, maybe not, maybe it's going to be mild, but the market's already seeing right through that because the market doesn't work two quarters forward. The market actually works a couple of years forward. Now, one of the things that I spoke about, Amasha, and I'd love to hear what, what, what do you think about it. You what you think about it, I listened to everything that you said. I think the one thing that the market is really starting to price in, you can see it in the NASDAQ, is the market is starting to price in AI. And what I, what, I, what I likened it to on my show was I said, AI is one of the biggest revolutions that we've seen in our generation. So like it's probably as big as no electricity and then electricity and stuff like that. I think the effects of AI, I think the market is looking at this and going, We've just seen, we've scratched, we've scratched the surface of AI and we're realizing how much more efficient and how much more productive it makes the economy. And I think what's going on, if you look at the NASDAQ up 50% this year, I think what the, what the market is telling you is telling you we're in the middle of a technological revolution and, the, and whether or not there's a recession
3: in Q3 or Q4 actually doesn't even matter. Again, all of these assets were down, like crypto, the gross end of tech was down last year. It was priced in last year. So all we're seeing now is the rebound off the low. The big companies, yeah, they're making all-time highs and that should get people to pay attention. I think AI is the meme of this particular bull market, but it really is the ongoing outperformance of technology versus um, other equity assets. And that's been an observable trend for a significant period of time now. And that makes sense, because in a world of limited growth, you want to own things that grow, because they're scarcer, and technology is growing, because it's endless reinvention of itself. Every technology bull market has a different narrative to it, and the narrative of this one is AI, but I think it will also be EV. I think it will also be probably robotics. Um, There's a whole bunch of mega narratives that I call the exponential age they all coming into play at the same time. So, you know, there is a possibility, probability, that this ends up being a kind of spectacular bubble style market because the narrative is so powerful. Hold that on. That is kind of reflexivity is important. Raul and, and Rand, before
0: before kind of touching on AI or, or moving on, you're both very bullish and I agree. Like, I've agreed with most of what you said, especially the fact that markets are forward-looking. It's crazy how people keep forgetting that. It's insane. Um but then, my question is that the markets are forward looking based on what we know and what we expect. What are some things that are not expected and that could change your entire outlook? Well, I think the unexpected, I mean, Mara, I think the unexpected
1: is you get another Black Swan event, you could have another COVID,
0: you could have a, you know, a, Not to that uh, extreme. A, 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 yeah, so, so I think these are extre- know, these are extremes or these are issues. Like, what is something that. So, so let's say you, you don't expect interest rates to rise any further. You expect inflation to fall. What are some of these expectations that are a bit shaky and that could change? You know, could, could well, there be more dominoes to fall? Could there be more cracks in the banking system? Well, I, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna
1: pass this to Rob, I, I want to pass it to you in the form of a question. So, I think for me, the, the rate hiking cycle is pretty much done. There Maybe one rate hike, and maybe, 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 maybe two, but as far as rate hikes for for inflation to fight the inflation i think both inflation are a thing of the rate hikes and inflation are not both a thing of the past. there is one cloud in the sky that i am watching and i'm very keen to hear i'll take you and that
0: is the treasury general account which was depleted uh before 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 you move right now, before before you move to that just i want to i want to you said rate hikes and inflation are a thing of the past and before going to the second point i know you had a question for a while i want to get different perspectives of that particular point Because I don't want to move away from it as if it's a fact. Like Peter, Michael, Dave, do you guys agree um, that rate hikes and inflation are a thing of the past? Because that's a pretty big statement. It's a ballsy statement. It's kind of a depends,
4: right? So it's the type of thing that if they keep the economy crushed down by not lowering rates and not putting a risk on environment, uh, then inflation will be a thing of the relative past for a short period of time. But as soon as it goes down, uh, inflation is going to go back up. But I think they have to kind of keep the hammer on because they can't afford to be issuing new T-bills when nobody other than the government itself is buying them. Uh, you know, China's not buying them. Uh, or otherwise, we'll just be, you know, just in like a 300% GDP worse than Japan situation.
0: Dave, I think you were jumping in on this point as well.
5: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that if you have to understand the definition of inflation Got muddled, and we got into this thing because people keep ignoring the fact that inflation is monetary. But there are two types of inflation. And this is an oversimplification, but obviously it's an easy way to think about it. There's asset inflation.
0: And by the way, Dave, your uh, with asset inflation and consumer inflation. As you explain both of them, and then I want to give the mic back to Rand. But your your audio. I know you're probably out, but not sure if you can improve your audio because it's a bit hard to understand what he's saying. Sorry. Okay, I'm trying again. Yeah, it's a bit better. Yeah, go ahead. So, asset inflation um, okay. and consumer inflation—asset inflation, which
5: we've had for thirty plus years, until they decided to helicopter money to people during the pandemic. At the same time, supply chains got constrained. Both of those things are gone now. And so, if you if you look at what's going on, it is entirely reasonable to assume that if you continue to to not to do the things that cause consumer inflation, and you see it as Michael Williams points out in the collapse of commodity prices, which will feed through to consumer inflation. The idea that consumer inflation will come back is based upon inflationary expectations and wages being demanded. as long as that is kept moderate, the Federal Reserve is totally focused on that. Powell has said it many times. It's entirely possible that it doesn't come back and we end up with a resumption of asset inflation as they start to look like the money supply the need to do on the back end. Because exactly the reason that someone was just talking about, which is the federal mm-hmm. government has immense borrowing mm-hmm. needs and needs to make that cheap.
0: Uh, and Michael, did you want to, uh, Mr. Uh, Michael uh, agree? did you want to add anything to this before I go back to Rand?
6: Um, I, I actually agree with the observation that the confusion around the definition of inflation and failing to separate it into scarcity components versus monetary components has played a kind of a critical role in this. I think the challenge is that we have chosen to address the inflation by trying to crush demand. What that's really leading to is a contraction of supply additions. So I, I, everything I'm seeing actually suggests that what we've done is reintroduce inflation and interest rate volatility. It may go away, but if we reaccelerate, it'll likely rematerialize um in an unfortunate way because we we chose a bad path in terms of how to tackle it
0: uh, and Rana, right i'll go back to you and just for the audience uh before i forget um if you are a, an investor with portfolio companies um or if you're a project just check the pin tweets above um and it talks about coming on as a partner to work with incubator but more importantly to come on our shark tank show for pitching or as a sponsor of the show so you can hit us up there's an email in the pin or just DM us, DM me, because the guys don't check Twitter, uh, or Ran, but Scott doesn't. So just DM me or Ran, or the email in the pin tweet, which is preferable. Um, ran, I took the mic away from you, so, so go ahead. I think you were moving on to another point. Yeah,
1: just uh, one of the things that I want to gauge as well, one of the things that I'm not very clear about uh, is this Treasury general account, which was, it's effectively, but that's the Treasury's bank account, which was depleted before they raised the debt ceiling. And one of the concerns in the market was that in order to refill their account, in other words, to get more money in into the treasury account, that they would they would sell more debt and take liquidity out of the market. So I'm just wondering Ra, well, how what do you think in terms of replenishing that account? Is that anything you need to worry about? Is it a headwind or is it is it well priced in?
3: I think generally, when Twitter is talking about something as, oh my God, they're going to refill the treasury general account, they didn't know even what it meant uh three weeks
0: before i was, I was about yeah exactly yeah, i
3: was about to explain to you if they asked you to define it well it's basically the the account for the treasury their general account their bank account and what they have they'd like to have liquidity as all of us does in the bank account so it gives them flexibility to do certain things for spending programs etc so it had been depleted because as you went into the debt ceiling talks um they weren't allowed to increase the treasury general account so the idea was oh my God, they're going to add a trillion dollars and that's going to take liquidity from the market and everyone's going to blow up and it's the end of the world. That was the general narrative. <clears throat> what actually happened was there's another part of the equation called the reverse repo, which is where banks and money market funds park money at advantageous rates with the Federal Reserve. And what happened was they drained that. And that's got like two odd trillion dollars in it. And so the money just went from that straight into the T-bills that the government was up. Was offering, so there was no net increase in liquidity. There'll be some, but it's pretty marginal. And that they raised, I don't know, four hundred and something billion in about a week or two. So, you know, if they continue at this pace and they can drain the the reverse repo, then what they've got is a zero liquidity effect on the market. The government sorted out, and this reverse repo, which was trapping a lot of money into it. Means that there'll eventually, eventually, probably be more liquidity in the bond market, which has been a problem. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Nobody takes the egg on the face of you know everything collapsing because the government's trying to refill its coffers. So overall, I think it's been a relatively non-event. Well, the markets have shown you that it is a non-event, but it's again, it's one of these kind of narratives that that Twitter gets ripped on because there's so much fear around. Um, and you know, we've gone through these these TGA refills before and periodically people get grits on this oh my god and then generally nothing ever happens
1: so Raul you say you're sitting back now and you you position yourself quite well pre the bull market now you're sitting back and you're just enjoying the
0: the ride but that didn't hold on didn't Raul before you ask a question, Raul, uh, that question Ryan, just on understand with that Ryan, mate didn't you and, and Noelle I see your hand up but did, didn't you talk about, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I used to watch your videos all the time and, and shout out to Real Vision as well, similar to Ryan. I've been a subscriber for a long time. But didn't you talk about a super cycle back then? And I think you kind of corrected it afterwards. Did you, were you prepared for the bear market we're experiencing now? And 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 um, how did it impact you? And then we'll go to Ryan's question, which is uh,
3: how you're positioned moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do anything. My thesis has been, uh, people get so confused with time horizon, my. My thesis has essentially been into the end of this decade. So I have no reason to do anything except add when the market sells off. And having been in this space since what 2012, 2013, I've gone through several of these large drawdown phases. And I've learned that if you add into these large drawdown phases, you compound returns over time. If you just need to zoom out, and it's a matter of You know, can you accept the volatility? You know, how much do you need the money? That kind of stuff. So that's a personal decision. And Time Horizon is the other decision. So I've done nothing. But wouldn't you, you, like when you see, remember the
0: meta hype where everything that had metaverse, we're seeing the same thing with AI now. But when things just look way too frothy, when every single project launching is doing 10, 20 X, it's very obvious for all of us. Um, that were in, 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 in at or near the peak just, it's impossible to time and that's why we still participate but at times like these why don't you pull out for a sec say hey i'll come back in let's say in six months so i did
3: so I, i've learned this right so the 2013 to 16 cycle i did nothing and you know i bought bitcoin at 200 um and then we got into the 17 cycle. I thought this is getting wildly out of control. There was all these negative narratives about forking of chains. I'm not, I don't really understand this. Um and so I was like, I'm up 10x, so I'm gonna take profits. It went up another 10x after that. So I took profits as to like two thousand, two and a half thousand. It then went up to it then went up to twenty thousand, it then collapsed again. And I actually went back and looked at what would have been the best outcome for me. The best outcome would have been kept my original bet and double it every time it gets to, and it wasn't a very big bet at the time, double it every time it gets to these big cycle lows. I'd have outperformed me buying and selling because I got back in at like 6,500 to the sell-off. So it's been been a lesson for me that if you've got the long-term time horizon, use the time horizon to your advantage, people aren't, you think you can catch the top. You can't you think you can catch the bottom you can't so i think it's just to be more cautious around that stuff
0: noel and peter iran i'll give you the mic back but noel and peter uh you know on on that particular point of trying to time the market like investing 101 i remember as a kid i read all the beta intelligent investor and, cetera, and and listening to warren buffett It's like timing is something you should not even try but in crypto at least in crypto it's just sometimes it's it's, it's just I know in high it's, it's not in hindsight, like things look obvious you know when there's blood in the waters like we, we are we are now or at least we've been in the last six months but you also know when things are just too mental too crazy um, should even should people even consider t- timing the market whatsoever
1: Mario oh before God. Mario well, before before you answer that just right
0: now are, are things too crazy or are things not too crazy just because you see well, there's somewhere there's somewhere there's somewhere in the middle but it's like if you ask me that question um, during the FTX collapse, I'll tell you and I said it in those spaces. And Noel, I'm just going to unmute you and just unmute again when you speak just because you got a bit of feedback. So just unmute right after I'm done. Um, but in during FTX, I said there's blood in the waters. Now, it doesn't mean it cannot get worse and it got worse. It just means, or or at least it got back to those levels, but it, it just means that we're either at or near. And if you ask me or if I ask you or if you ask anyone with a brain um, in the bull market or whatever two years ago, Hey, are we are we at or near the peak? The answer will be yes. We just don't know if we're at the peak yet, and that's why it's still worth it. It could could be a bit more upside left, but you know, there's no way 10 and 20 x's every day is 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 a normal market.
7: Um, I, I guess for as to say that it's always crazy in crypto markets. I don't remember a time when it when it's not even when prices are stable which is relatively scarce. Um, in terms of can things get worse, they can always get worse, as you said, Mario, that's totally right. But even now, I don't agree that we are in a raging bull market yet, precisely because of that. There are some very important shoes that have still to drop in the crypto markets, and we know that the market does look 12 months ahead for good news. It doesn't look 12 months ahead for bad news, it. it tends to that's get it. pretty sharply on that, that's especially it. especially given the liquidity. A That's a good
0: point. Like, for, by the way, Noel, I interrupted you just because your mic is really bad, but you did make a really good point. So I want to kind of repeat it. I'm not sure if you can fix your mic in the in the meantime, but you just say that the 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 the, the... actually can you? I don't know if I would agree with you. That the markets are forward looking when it comes to good news, but they're not as forward looking when it comes to bad news. Is that what you said, or that I misunderstood? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. But uh, hold on, why are we just making the point earlier that the market was forward looking for a recession? That was the point that Rand was making. It's like the market's already priced in, and I think Iran or um, Raul made the point that the market's already priced in a severe recession. Do you disagree with that?
7: I do disagree with that. It priced in what it thought would be a recession, not even a particularly bad one a few months ago. It then decided that we weren't going to have that. The soft landing data was coming in thick and fast. Is still coming in thick and fast. I mean, we saw this last week with just the GDP revision and then the PC figures. The economic data is surprisingly resilient. We are not yet, we have not yet seen the pricing in of unemployment at 7%. We have not yet seen the pricing in of more bank failures. We saw how fast the market reacted to the bank failures that we had back in March.
0: But that's but that's a black but that, that that's more of a black swan event versus a recession which is like being talked about talked about not. nonstop.
7: Well I don't think that swans. I mean they were relatively predictable. We didn't know when they were gonna come, but the fact that they were coming was not that out there. And black swans are totally out there. And of course there are indeed some of those possibly in the table but there's a lot of bad news ahead, and that's not even taking into account some of the geopolitical tensions that we could see in the second half of the year. That's not taking into account the impact on energy prices that any of those would have, and that's not taking into account the impact of a really hot summer or a really cold winter on energy stocks. But then, when of- you say
0: when someone right before you jump in and then right after you run, I want to go back to Peter. Um, I, I want to say is that when when someone says it doesn't, it does. The market is not factoring in blah blah blah. When I hear that. Uh, doesn't that actually mean the opposite it's like because we're talking about it that means the market is already factored in cuz we're thinking about it unless you're 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 um, saying things that no one else is talking about so that'll be and then like maybe Rand a good time for you to jump in and Noel, I'm not sure if you could fix your mic and for the audience while Ryan is speaking um you know give us your thoughts like do you think we're we're being too optimistic or at least Ryan and and Raul and, and I tend to agree with them Or are you more on Scott's side and and more pessimistic? Scott is always pessimistic, but are you a bit more pessimistic? And do you think the markets are as forward-looking or at least if they are forward-looking, are they efficient? Because being forward-looking but inefficient um, Mm -hmm. means the the fact that they're forward-looking is just not that interesting. Ran?
1: Yeah, I must say I agree with Noel that that the banking collapse wasn't the black swan. I think it was very much expected. Um, and also I think that the way that they fixed the banking collapse was also very much expected. you're going to have a banking collapse you know if there's you know the one thing that the Fed and the the governments do really well is they know how to deal with the same things twice. and if you look at you know they to they 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 know that when there is a banking collapse, the Fed needs to just step in and just guarantee your loans and everything is and everything is is is, is fine. and that's exactly what they did as soon as there was some signs of the cracks. They came in and they just, they said, oh, well, we're making all uh, deposits whole, in which case there's no more, there's no more bank runs and then there's no more banking collapse. So I think, I think, you know, let's, let's differentiate black swans versus non-black swans. And, and, and I think like we had to say that a black swan is an event that you really can't anticipate or, you know, it's, it's so unlikely that you wouldn't anticipate. So, you know, black swan would have been uh, COVID. COVID was a true black swan. How many of us would have thought that a, a virus that was manufactured in lab—that was like that was that, was, that was a real bad one. The banking corruption and all that—that's pretty much anticipated, and all those things are potentially priced in. And I don't see any of those surprises. And I think I'm in the camp. I'm in Rails camp here, where
0: I say we're in an age of technological progression that is unlike anything. The- I, I don't know. Like, and I want to go to Raul right after Peter because I, I want to get Raul's thoughts on the whole metaverse discussion. Because I think the AI discussion we're having now is. I would say it's similar to the metaverse. It's it's, it's just a lot more impactful and the adoption is a lot faster. Um, but I, I've got a question on the metaverse topic, Raul, because I'm a, I was and still am a big proponent of the metaverse. You know, while I was listening to your show, I would I was traveling the world. And I would I would take bits and pieces of things you say and kind of use them in my speeches. So, um, it's it's funny how no one's talking about the metaverse now, but everyone was talking about it before. But Peter, I, I want to go back to the point that Ran and and uh, Noel, we're, we're discussing and regarding the, the efficiency of the, of the markets and whether timing is even a thing we should, we should, any of us should try in crypto.
8: Yeah. And I think there's kind of three quick things I want to hit on here is one, talking about your AI point. I think the one thing that I keep hearing, AI, 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 I agree, it's going to be transformational. But so far, the benefit has largely accrued to the companies that supply the AI. Right. So either AI is really going to work and I think it's actually going to be very supportive for the broad markets. You could see PE ratios or however you want to define it really rise. Right. If AI truly works, the efficiencies aren't going to accrue to big tech. They're going to accrue to all these smaller companies and mid-sized companies and traditional manufacturers. So I think the next leg of the AI rally is going to be far less about big tech and far more about actually deciding to price into the economy, to markets, to these companies that they will actually benefit from AI. So I think that's kind of where we're at this fulcrum is if AI truly works, the rest of the market should actually be benefiting probably more so than the big AI companies because so much is already priced in. So that's an inflection I'm waiting to see, how it's adopted. I think we'll get a lot about earnings in that respect. When I look at crypto right now, um, and you know I was wrong when we went through 20, I thought we'd get to 10 before we got to 30. So here we are at 30. So I have to reevaluate. You know I talked to a lot of my customers, large asset managers in particular, and I think the excitement just isn't there like it was the first time we kind of broke through 30. And people are still questioning, you know, what's the validity of here? They're looking at these thin markets. They're looking at these large moves. And yes, we're getting the data coming in. We're getting, you know, responses in terms of fidelity, working on making it more accessible. But I think there's a lot of skepticism of whether this time it's, you know, everyone frant ran this again and we do a pullback or people are going to have to adopt more and more. And I would say right now, I'm kind of very neutral. I'm not getting the sense that we're going to see this next wave of people piling in. I'm looking for that. I'm trying to see if conversations will change. If so, then I think you want to be buying this because we have a lot more upside if everyone starts really allocating that 1% or 2%. If it kind of fades, I think we go back to 20-some-odd thousand just because so many people have on the good news and priced in the good news, expecting people to get sucked in, and I just don't feel the sucking sound. And then the last kind of wild card I'll throw out is I think the one thing that we're not talking enough at all about, and there's lots of signs of this is, and this is a real risk, I think, to the U.S. economy and markets, is that we see a shift from made in China to made by China. And this has been one of our big themes, is that China is going to start trying to sell their brands globally to compete with us. All the nations that they have trade deficits where they're securing natural resources at a better pace than we get natural resources, they're going to turn around and try and sell their made by China companies goods into those countries. And I think that could be very disruptive for the dollar. It could be very disruptive for companies. And you look at Huawei as the example. The product was probably 80% as good as what you could buy you know, using Western Europe or American technology, but the cost was 40%. It attracted a lot. So to me, that's my wild card on the horizon that I don't think anyone's talking about, yet there's plenty of signs that it could be a risk to markets
0: and the economy in the next year to two. Um, Ron, I wanted to, to shift back to the metaverse. I don't know if, if this is something that Ron wants to talk about as well, but I'm um... I'm, I really wanted to have that discussion with you, is that we're, we're both proponents of the concept of the Metaverse. Meta kind of started that bull, bull run back then. It was like the next thing after the whole play to earn hype. And then, so, so everyone praised Meta for their decision, for their rebranding from Facebook. And then, you know, a few months later, it's the opposite. Everyone's making fun of the whole Metaverse hype and and Meta's max decision to rebrand to Meta. Your thoughts on the metaverse? Is it now old news, AI is a new thing, and, and we'll never see a metaverse hype phase again? Or, um, you know, it's just getting warmed up and that could play a big key, a big role in in the next bull market?
3: Listen, the largest observable trend, I think, on Earth is the digitization of everything. The Mark Andreessen quote of software eating the world is one of the most profound things. And if you think about the digitization of everything, that is an ongoing super trend. So everything around us gets digitized faster and faster. You know, we're all involved in the digitization of money, financial markets, um, contracts, ownership, all sorts of stuff, which is the crypto market. So the metaverse itself is the broadest digital rendition of that life that we live that is digitized. You know, I argue that Zoom is an early basis for, for, the metaverse, because I now spend my entire day where I would have been in meetings, meetings in a digital format with a digital person somewhere else in the world. And so that super trend is not going away. Apple massively moved the game forwards with spatial awareness, uh, with spatial compute, which is basically augmented reality. There are many, many people working in, in VR. I think people have an anchoring bias. They have an anchoring bias on Ready Player One or or snow crash. And so they think, well, it needs to be this world that we kind of fully live it. I don't see it as that. I see it as the interconnected digital activity of humanity. And the more and more we become digitized, the more and more the spaces around us integrate with this digital world. And I think AR is a big breakthrough. So no, I don't think it's gone away. But what are you so so? Do you, well, what about um, an open metaverse? So, in other words, a
0: metaverse with the concept of digital ownership. Uh, so where NFTs kick in. So there's, there's two ways of looking at the metaverse, and the way I would describe it is like a Web two metaverse and a Web three metaverse. The Web two metaverse is what you're talking about. It's like the entire experience VR, AR, and 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 we're heading in that direction. Whatever term you want to use. But then the, the other metaverse, the open metaverse or the Web3 metaverse, essentially the ability to be able to own digital assets and that allows for entire economies, decentralized economies or, or like a real replica of the physical world we live in without without predetermined physics to exist. Is that something that interests you, especially when it comes to gaming? Uh, are we way too early to even pay attention to it? Or is that could be a, a, good, uh, a good narrative for the next bull market?
3: So when things get digitized, they essentially go to zero in value because the marginal cost of creating a new one is zero. So we see this massive crushing sound that comes out of this digitization um, mega trend. So that's a real problem if we're living most of our lives in a digital world is therefore no assets hold any value. So, you, so what blockchain did was solve that, that one thing to me. That's a very, very big thing. Now, there's a tons of other applications, but it's a very big thing in this metaverse concept. Now, will Apple or will Facebook use NFTs as a way of anchoring value in their metaverses? My guess is that if they want to maintain value outside of just the experience as well or the connectivity, then they will. Because um, it doesn't make much sense otherwise because you can't move around in that world and own things in the digital world. And we're seeing large movements by fashion houses and others into this particular space with the understanding that digital scarcity is the same as physical scarcity um, because humans are humans and they will attach their full value to it. So I, I I think all of this happens together. It's the battle for the internet. It's the same. And it's how far across the central line do we get the decentralized version of the metaverse where it becomes interoperable. There will be walled gardens too. So there's places where we won't be able to take our digital assets. So I just think it's a, a broad mix of everything within that and you know that that's the way the world works I mean punk 6529's crusade if I call it that is to keep the metaverse open because the control within a place where we live our entire digital lives is even more powerful than when Facebook were you know five years ago and Google are today etc and you know his argument is we can't let corporations control our lives in a way when the metaverse becomes more mm. important to us and that having things on blockchain helps us re- retain some elements of freedom and ownership and I, I think that's absolutely dead right that's a fight that's got to come and that's a fight that will play out over a decade i, agree. I think i think we'd,
0: we'd reach unprecedented levels of centralization if uh, as we digitize unless the open metaverse gains traction and you know you you, you... and that's the side
3: that's the same problem with the ai Yes, exactly. And, and I want to I get onto it. all power. Yeah. The all power of to give some of these giant tech companies not only a metaverse to live in, but basically the system of intelligence for the metaverse. You're pretty fucked as humanity mm. at that point. So it's really important that we have open AIs. It's really important that there are, that it's not a walled garden that we get forced in by regulators saying, Microsoft good, anybody else bad, because we trust Microsoft. Because that that's assimilation of power in, in three or four places is not good,
4: Mike. Well, I think we're still waiting. I think we're still waiting for the for the Uncle Milton of the metaverse, right? So the first hype phase came in the, a bull market that NFTs were still relatively new. Um, the term Web three was still relatively new, um, and you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, when it goes up, it went up exponentially with you know, board Apes and everything else. And then it went crashing because nobody had really built anything. And you know what we need in this next wave, I'm sure there'll be the funding around to do it. And you know maybe it's the other side, maybe it's something we don't even know about. There certainly are a lot of um, celebrities that put their name uh, into various efforts. But if one actually launches either round, probably multiple celebrities uh, that that people actually tune into and actually engage with. I think this next time you're going to have hype based on a reality of having hundreds of thousands of users in that, you know, the 75 people at a time that you have on the central end.
0: Maybe, maybe Raul, you did touch on um, NFTs and you and Michael both still have your ape. You know, I moved away from my punk about a week or two ago, but I still have it. So I just moved it off just because I do a lot of political spaces. And I can't do them with a punk. Um, I get mocked a lot. So, but the, the question is, what's the NFT market looking like today? And, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of projects capitulate capitulate Ryan, you've talked about this in your show, the capitulation of a bunch of projects, honing yeah. uh, NFT marketplace tokens. Yeah. I mean, so to me, yeah. go on, you go, Ryan.
1: Yeah. For me, I mean, I spoke about it on the show today and I said, look, for me, the thesis is that all technologies go through a V1 and the V1 is not really successful.
0: Most of the time the V1 it's is just an experiment. Except except, except for is- Bitcoin is like an ex- one hell of an exception.
1: Yeah, well Bitcoin is well actually not not really because there were there were attempts before that to make uh, digital money. They just didn't stick. Um but in this case, you know, I think NFTs I think the technology is here to stay. I think the collections I, I wouldn't be I don't bet on the collections just because I think that you know the thesis that we had that all these punks and all these apes were going to give you culture and you were going to be part of these clubs. I'm not sure that that's exactly the use case, but I do know that nfts as a as a technology is going to change the world and for me when i see those kind of things and you know what i want to be holding is i want to be holding the exchanges and, and
0: do you actually hold on ryan do you actually do you actually own any nfts any punks any apes i'm curious i've never asked you
1: I, I own nfts i don't own punks and apes because i just couldn't get my head around it i do own nfts i'm going to be completely blunt and honest i don't think i've ever made money on an nft ever like um, I'm, i think i'm the one person in the world never, never ever no add me
0: I'm the same bro so you're not alone and probably Scott so all three of us have I've never made money I'm, I don't think I've ever sold
1: an NFT at a profit uh, but I've always like I've probably put less than half a percent of my portfolio into NFTs always because I just did I never believed in the thesis of buying jpegs to be part of a club and spending millions of dollars doing it um, but I do believe in the technology so for me one of the big bets that I'm actually making now is I'm looking at who's going to be the NFT chain and and who are going to be the NFT exchanges? And right now, when when it, when it feels like things in NFTs are capitulating, that's probably going to be a good time to say, "All right, let's pick up the exchanges and let's pick up the the chains that I think are going to support the NFTs." And, and, and what about what, what about the blue chips, though? I don't believe in the collection. I just don't believe in any of the collections. I don't believe in apes. I don't believe in punks. I don't believe in in dogs. I don't believe that. I just think I think you know I, I think a, a lot of people. Who paid a lot of money for these panks
0: are now sitting deep underwater, and that applies, but that's unfair, right? That, that's, that applies to everything in crypto. Uh, not really. What do we? What's not sitting? What's not in the red? Like anything that's new, anything that didn't exist, anything yo yo. That's I just said. Anything that's new, you can't talk. Yeah, but the, anything that's new, any NFTs are new. You can't compare that to Bitcoin and and ETH. But, but look, let, let me, Raul. Like maybe you could disagree with Ryan, because I think his his position. Is it like it's a smart position, by the way? Like I like you know having um, uh, NFT marketplace tokens makes a lot of sense. It's a great way to hedge your risk for any any new asset class. But you know, just the argument that he doesn't believe in blue chips, especially after what they've been through. Like for them to survive the bull, the bear market we're seeing, and to have people like yourself and Michael and others, I'll even count much- well, they have to have sorry, they have to have uh, uh, use cases, and the use cases are probably less
4: recognizable on the bear market. But first of all, I mean two of the best known ones, the punks and the apes are now owned by Eugen Labs, effectively. And so a lot of the future value is going to be dependent on them really fulfilling the promise of their metaverse, right? So the two are related here. And I think they've made very few uh bad steps in their entire history, right? So I think that if they're able to go in and you know be able to go, I mean, there were so many uh, you know, people like cramming in and like begging to get tickets to see when Eminem played at Eighth Fest and those types of things. we are just kind of laying low right now. But you take that to the next exponential level of where I think they need to go. And remember, they they got as an equity play a five billion dollar valuation from uh um you know from A16Z. So I think that there's only a handful from this last wave. They'll remain blue chips, but I would not write off the entire category. And I think the next. You, oh, the next group of blue chips are going to be around Web3 gaming as they're going to be the.
1: No, no, let me. Let me. Uh, let me right, hold on. Right, I wanted to say that kind of be full, full disclosure, Mario. The one token that I am holding in the NFT space is I'm holding the eight token. And every day I wake up in the morning thinking to myself, it's time to sell this thing. It's time to sell this thing. It's time to sell this thing. Um, And I, I hold on to it because it's really the one NFT pair that I've got other than
0: exchanges. So it's like i'm let me okay <laughs> look listen Rand. listen to this listen to this um and and i'm not actually i'm not going to do it i'm actually going to ask raul to do it raul can you can you maybe touch on obviously respond to everything's that been said but talk about gaming nfts which to me has been during the bull market and continues to be the most exciting asset class in the entire crypto space and to me still more excited exciting than decentralized ai or decentralizing aspects of ai so raul maybe you could talk about
3: or touch on um, Gaming NFTs. Yeah. Well, first, I'm sort of talk about NFTs more broadly. So the kind of NFTs that we talked about, whether it's high-end art or the more expensive um, PFP projects like punks, what they are is assets within the ETH economy. It's pretty straightforward. And people buy assets when they have excess savings or excess returns, so i.e., when the economy is thriving, the ETH economy is thriving, people have gains. They tend to buy assets for status. This is a human trait, which is very interesting because when you look at the chart of Rolex watches and Patek Philippe, basically the same chart as the um, as Borek, the Yacht Club or Punks. And it's exactly the same mechanism. So when you're feeling a bit flush, you've made some good trades, your bank account is looking okay, you're feeling confident about the future you reward yourself with a trophy asset. That's what humans do. So very typical traits. why we buy you know, a BMW versus a Toyota, all of those kind of things. It's the mimetic um, vision that we have, but the stories we tell ourselves about our status and how successful we are. So the same is the true of high-end art prices. The same is true of high-end real estate. So when we get the ETH economy growing again, New capital coming into the space, which is foreign direct investment, new activity, what we'll find is people will go to what they think are the assets that give them status. Some of the assets that people thought gave them status this time around won't do, and others will. What 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 those are, I don't really know. But punks is probably a great example because there's no utility to it. So it's just a punk is a punk a punk and it's an identifier, a status identifier. I think probably be- remains so. Raul, well, I think
1: you may be wrong yeah. And I think I'll tell you why. I think the way I see punks and apes, I see them like fashion. And when I look at punks and apes, do you remember true religion jeans? Do you remember the, 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 the phase that everybody went through wearing true religion jeans? When I look at punks and apes, I see true religion jeans. It, it was a fad. It was great. It was cool at the time. And I think that in the next, I, I fully agree with your thesis. I fully, fully, fully agree with your the, thesis that, um, uh, uh, people will spoil themselves earning assets, but I think that the nature of the asset is going to change. I think that all these, well, these, including with respect also your ape, I think that all yeah, those will the, be one of the asset.
3: And the question is, Ram, is which fashion brand are you buying? Right. So I don't think Punks is so much of a fashion brand. Um, it's more like a Rolex watch. But let's say. Apes is more phone. I, so. I, I, I don't think so. I think, I, mean,
1: I think a Rolex watch... I think a Rolex watch... The reason why it is a Rolex watch is because it was
3: very, very, very high quality and it stood the test of time. And I do Versus think most watches. Yeah. I mean, the technology in a Rolex is no better than anything else. It's just a watch, right? It tells the time. I can do it on my phone. I don't actually need it. It's just a it trinket. It did the test of time. It stood the test
1: of
0: time. But I don't think that Punks is going to stand the test of Well, it has. Uh, it uh, has. Like, is, I think the last year is like decades and really yeah that's that's like 30 40 years in in
3: web in in traditional world. And you might be right Ran. I have I have no idea. There's no crystal ball here. It's a bet that I'm taking. I've probably got 10% of my ETH portfolio in a bunch of NFTs. I'm not a DJ and I don't trade them a lot. Uh, I like NFTs for uh, utilities, parsers and stuff like that. Stuff we've been experimenting with with the Roblox and Collective. The Yuga thing is can they build a larger brand? And can we accumulate benefits from the larger brand, or does it end up being true religion as opposed to being Hermes?
0: Right well, here, go ahead, Joe. Sorry, but... a, go ahead, Michael and Joe.
4: Yeah, I would say the the, the one uh, place where the true religion genes comparison breaks down is that true religion genes um, are not limited supply. Uh, there will only ever be uh, ten thousand eight, just like there will only ever be twenty one million Bitcoin. And as Web three grow, grows cycle by cycle. Even as people just to like, look what happened with the the Ethereum rock. I mean, it came out of nowhere and like went up in value because it was one of the oldest, earliest ones. So when limited there a billion people in Web3, people are going to want to uh, have a
3: limited supply. supply. Yeah, but most of this stuff will to go to zero, right? Most of the Limited supply.
9: Yeah, which is exactly
1: limited why. It matters. Which is why the limited matters. supply. Guys, <laughs> y'all, <laughs>
0: Um, limited supply. Uh, there is demand yes but there is demand there is demand hey limited by no but the, limited supply and unlimited supply both only matter if there is demand but i think the point that michael's making is that limited supply that you're making you made a comparison to a, an asset that the, the g's that is not limited supply so you're just saying that limited supply is better than unlimited supply but both need demand so so maybe but joe i'll let you jump in and then i want to kind of move to gaming nfts because for selfish reasons because i'm so passionate about it and if, Ryan, if you're bearish on gaming NFTs, um, we will not be talking for a while, but Joe, go ahead.
9: Yeah, I was just going to jump in a couple of minutes ago, Mario, because you were asking the question, which I think is central here, right? About, you know, timing the market versus time in the market. And what you see in the vast majority of this space, in all of these 10,000 plus tokens, is that the darlings of the previous cycle never recovered their all-time highs. So You get a handful of them that ever make a new high in, in USC terms. The vast majority never make new all-time highs. In Bitcoin terms, and that's the that's the point.
0: Has has anyone Joe, has anyone has anyone actually done? And that's for you, Joe, because I interrupted you. But has yeah. anyone actually uh, done? I'm sure there is research on on how many of the projects that launched during the last bull market, the 2017 2018, actually went back and reached a new all time highs. In dollars or Bitcoin? In, in Bitcoin? No, terms, percentage. No, I want to say big percent. The number, uh, Bitcoin terms. I'm saying what percentage of projects that launched in that bull market actually came back in the next bull market versus died. It,
9: it's it's great, it's a great one. In Bitcoin terms, it's two. You got two that made a new all-time high against Bitcoin. Dogecoin, which we obviously know had Elon behind it, uh, you know, promoting it on SNL and so forth. And you had Bic, uh, BNB, the unregistered security launched by Binance. So uh, you've got those two, that's it, out of all the tokens. That's crazy. And, and, and then if you take USD terms, I think the number expands to nine or 10. So the so the vast majority of these things, right? You enter into what you said. You have to time it. If you're going to play in the altcoin space, and sophisticated people in the altcoin space know this, you catch the darling of the cycle and you you, you sell your pr- for profit. You don't hold these things. I mean, the comment made earlier, I think by uh, Raoul, about how you just average down on these. Okay, how did that work out for Stellar Lumens? If you average down during the entire 2018-2019 bull cycle, you never made it to an all-time high. Even projects that were you know the top 10 on Coin Market Cap 2018-2019, they never made new highs. So the notion that like, oh, you can just average down on these things, which were popular yesterday and they'll recover is just flawed, I think.
3: So how many How many of the... Yeah, but that's, well, that's not what I study. on. It's, you know, I'm talking about the one or two of the the large, largest assets in the Bitcoin space and Ethereum. Underneath. I'm not talking about... Yes. Yeah, I mean, the rest I don't really care about. Yeah, I've got position in Solana, but I don't really care about that stuff. For me, it's the representation of the growth in the space over time. It's not, I'm not a trader. I don't choose a lot of tokens. Yes, I've got a few bits of Shrapnel here and there of stuff just to keep my eye on it, but other than that, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. But I think when people hear that, you
9: hear you can just average down. They're 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 thinking that's going to be true of their favorite altcoin, which is going to, lead to zero most likely.
3: Hmm. Yeah, well, I, you know, but, but we can't help everybody in in every single interpretation of every single. Not about
9: interpretation. We're speaking in a room with six thousand people, so if people here you just average down when the markets crash.
0: So, so the. So, so just on the Raul, like I, I kind of link that to the question. Like, so first, th- did you do a lot of VC investments in the last bull market, Raul? And then maybe you can you can kind of answer that while pivoting to uh, gaming NFTs, if that's okay.
3: Um, sorry, I just got somebody at the front door, but um, no, I don't do VC. I have no edge. I don't know everything that sounds amazing to me is usually a zero, and everything that sounds <laughs> a zero to me is usually amazing. And I've got no edge in gaming. I've never been a gamer, so I don't. I understand there's a lot of people passionate about it but I'm not one of the people who really closely follows i
0: let you, I'll let, kind you of got no I'll let you I'll let check the front door uh, Rand do you want to go before Dave? okay
1: yeah I mean look Amara I, I, I must be honest I'm really 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 bullish uh, play play and game. I'm really bullish in. let's call it let's call it NFT gaming yeah. but again my thesis here remains the same. I will not invest in the individual games. I'll invest. Hold on, in you're not your you're not invested. You're not invested in any individual game. Okay, I am. No, no, no. I am invested. I'm not going to make any further inv- I mean, what I invested in the last bull run, you know, I invested in 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 narratives. I invested in waves. Um, what I'm not gonna, what I'm not doing is I'm not investing in specific games now because I know that the chance of success of an NFT game is one in a one in a thousand, right? So I think like, if you think about video games in general, the chance of a video game succeeding, one in a thousand, one in 10,000, one in a million, um, that's how many games actually make money. It's the same for the film industry. Like, you, know, you see the couple of films that actually end up making money, but the majority of films actually lose money. And to say, it's going to be the same thing with games. And so to me, if I'm looking to invest in, in these, in these um, narratives, short of a real bull run where I'm, where I'm surfing the wave, then all I want to do is invest in the best studio with the most talented people and, and let that happen. And I think, it's, I, think I just want to um, make one point here, which a lot of people don't, don't get about crypto investing. But when you understand this about crypto investing, you realize just how risky crypto investing actually is. And it's a very, very, very important point. I'm going to try and go through it as slowly as possible because I think that it's quite a, a difficult concept to grasp and understand but I want to start off by saying when you invest in a company, when you invest in a stock, you're investing in a bunch of people and you're investing in a bunch of people that pivot and make decisions based on the on on the competitive landscape and the conditions of the market. So if you take a startup and you invest in a startup and the market conditions change or the narrative changes or the thesis changes, then what you're doing is you're investing in those people and their ability to be able to pivot and keep your money safe and keep the investment safe. And very often when you invest in a startup, the business that you invest in on day one and the business that you land up holding three, four, five years later is a completely different business. Completely, completely, completely different business. Now in crypto, the rules of that game change and I'll explain to you why. If you invested in, I'm going to use the word Solana or Ethereum. You invested in a layer one blockchain that is that was designed in proof of stake, for example, right? And that is what you invested in. And if the, the winds change or the narrative changes or the market changes, the people can't pivot the, the business 180 degrees and do something completely different. Because it's a protocol. It's not a business. It becomes reliant on the DAO and it becomes reliant on a vote. But that makes investing
0: in crypto... Much, 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 much more dangerous than investing. in normal uh, companies. That's a really interesting point. But most projects you invest in, if you're doing early investments, they start out centralized, which gives them the flexibility to pivot, and then they slowly decentralize and get to a position where they cannot pivot. They do, they do. But you know what? If you look at the real
1: project, you know they start off centralized because they have to. But the real project, decent, the the good projects, decentralize really quickly. I'm not talking about. Centralized projects that sell tokens as an as a substitute for selling uh, equity and effectively are selling unlicensed illegal securities. I'm talking about real protocol. Like, oh, let me give an example. If you invested in something like an arbitrum, right? So you know you're investing in a layer two on Ethereum that works on Optimistic Rollups. And I know that sounds technical, but just work with me here. Now, if the market changes or the thesis changes and layer twos are no longer required on Ethereum or something like that your money's gone. Whereas if you had invested in a centralized company and the thesis changed and layer twos weren't required anymore in Ethereum, you would have backed a management team and that management team, you would have backed them to pivot into something else. Now in crypto, in the true sense of crypto, that doesn't exist because you're investing in a protocol and and you're not investing in a team that can pivot and do things quickly. And that's what most people don't understand about crypto investing. It is a hundred times more risky than investing in stocks in, in equities because you're not backing a team and you don't have the flexibility and the ability to change the
0: structure and to change the narrative and to change the the cool. project. So, so I want to I want to ask a question to Raul if he's back uh, about AI now. But before doing so, I just want to remind the audience first. Uh, if you all look at the stage right now, you'll see on our stage we have a beautiful. It's not beautiful. A pretty ugly-looking circle. That's the new account we'll be using to start hosting the the channel. So make sure you follow that account so you get notified moving forward because we're going to move off my account um, finally. Um, So make sure you follow that ugly red circle that's putting out Love Hearts right now. In the meantime, if you are a project or a business or anybody really that wants to sponsor the show or work with our incubator, just hit us up in the a pinned tweet or just DM me or Ran. um, And then we could uh, come back to you. Just email us in the pinned tweet. But um, uh, are you back, Raoul? Yep, I'm here. And AI. I'll keep the first question very, very general. Your thoughts, especially when it comes to 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 uh, the the intersect between
3: AI and blockchain. Uh, my thoughts on AI is it is one of the most fundamentally groundbreaking technologies that humanity's ever come up with, um, and people will look at it now and say, "Well, it's not that now." No, it's not that now. But where will it go? Over time. So I think it's massively important. AI opens up an enormous number of issues and an enormous number of opportunities. I think it can have the potential to change the productivity once you start applying it to robotics, to cars, to all sorts of things um, as we see this aging population around the world. So I think it's a fundamental game changing uh, opportunity that forms part of this exponential age thesis where it all comes together. The blockchain part of this how does this connect? I know people are desperate to connect narratives and, you know, can blockchain benefit from the AI boom? You know, really at the core of it is this scarcity in a digitized world, is my ID should be scarce because if not, people can make a representation of, of me endlessly for infinity and that becomes a huge problem. So some form of digital ID and content ID that is blockchain really helps. And I think we have to move towards that. We're going into the US election. We're already seeing the impact of AI um, on some of this. The content that we will see, we will not know what we can trust whatsoever, even from our most trusted sources. So I think that nexus is the most important nexus of the use of blockchain and AI. Also, I do think that tokenization of the compute itself um, is an interesting opportunity for the open networks. Obviously, AWS and um, you know Microsoft Azure. Everybody else will just charge normally, but there's a way of distributing this because I think I'm b- very nervous of the fact that some large businesses can accumulate all the profits in what is a fundamental technology. Because what you're doing is you've now gone from scarcity of intelligence to abundance of intelligence, and that's a something humanity's never gone through before. And again, it's still early stage, so I do think that. If humanity can participate in these networks as they grow, which is why, also, I'm very attracted to blockchain technology overall, is people can participate in a new financial system in a way they couldn't do before. So, I, I do think there's very there's things together, but you know, everybody just shills Render Token or whatever it is. It's like I don't think that's the big story here. I think it's the integration of these technologies at fundamental levels that is more important than trying to find one token that's going to go up.
0: Okay, so so. You mentioned something really interesting, kind of related to a tweet I did today. So, when I ran, we were talking about uh, the space yesterday, and I was using, uh, giving examples of spaces I really enjoyed. One of my favorite spaces was when we did a truth GPT versus chat GPT space a few months ago. Now, we had um, Sam Altman and, and Elon listening into the space in the audience, and we're just kind of um, comparing the two and the pros and the cons of each. And then, one big point we were discussing is that h- how will AI determine? You know who or how will truth be determined? And uh, I was doing a tweet today um, uh, about how um, the whole Gary Gensler rumor that we were making fun of it yesterday uh, ran. That was actually generated by a website that's only been a week old that used AI to generate it. And then the person that spotted that this is fake news used AI to be able to to, to deconstruct the, the the fake news and that, and found out that AI was used to create fake news. It was like AI was used to determine. A piece of information that another AI shared was untrue, and everyone knows the whole Gary Gansler rumor a few days ago because you are probably all celebrating when you first saw it. Um, and Ryan almost did a video on it. So, so my question to you, uh, Ryan, is: is how will blockchain help in ensuring the the? do know what term to use, but like the the, the information or the 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 core base. Of the infrastructure is um, first, it's not centralized among certain entities, and then the fundamental truth is embedded in a way that cannot be manipulated. Um, Could blockchain be a solution to that problem? Uh, Raul, you're muted. Or did the space crash? Are you there? Perfect. No, I'm there. But sorry, you were cutting in and out on me. Oh, good. So I'll, I'll kind of make it too long. Dip. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Applications of blockchains, so kind of digging into the applications of blockchains when it can, comes to AI. Because there's one way of looking at it is there's two hype terms being put together just for some projects to launch, launch a token and, and pump
3: versus actual applications that make sense, at least in the short term. Yeah, I don't see any applications yet that are truly... Uh, groundbreaking. I know people are tinkering at the edges. People have some ideas. It's really super early stage because AI is moving faster than the crypto space right now. Um, So I don't think the space is caught up. So I'm super wary of everything, but observing anything Uh, just to try and see, okay, what traction, what things. I mean, it's it's all well and good, but like 50 projects say, we've sold digital ID. Amazing. How do you get that out to 8 billion people? Unless you've got a distribution plan at scale, it's not going to work. So I think just be very, very careful of, of what you invest in based around this theme or just accept it's a meme and try and choose things that will go up. But that's not my modus operandi. Other people you know, like to degen around smaller tokens and that's the way that they do it. They trade the meme. For me, I just, I don't see anything fundamental yet. I know it will come. So I just keep my eyes and ears open and just monitor As space and look for things that get traction. And
0: um, I'll kind of, uh, wrap it up with one last question, Raul, and, and anyone could add on to this question afterwards because it kind of summarizes what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And that's the SEC action against Coinbase and, and Binance and, uh, of course, their, um, what they consider to be securities and the whole bunch of tokens that were considered securities um, that the market didn't respond too well to. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that, Raul, the and Gary Gensler's approach to crypto and then kind of link it all the way to the ETF uh, filings that we saw for the last few days and weeks. Um, we'd love to get your state of the market based on the news we saw in the last few weeks.
3: So, twofold. firstly, three of us on the call don't care that the U.S. are calling them securities <laughs> because we're not U.S. citizens. And so that's one thing to realize. This is a global, uh, a global technology and it will move around. And because it's finance and has a lot of money involved, it'll move around to large financial centers. And I've talked about this a lot. You know, London is stepping up to the plate, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, even Europe has done a decent set of regulations. So Gary Gensler himself is like, it seems to be that there's some protection of the US system. Uh, we saw this in the past with the FX markets, with the Eurodollar markets. A bunch of times we've seen this, the US become very protectionist. And Gary seems to be fighting that fight. And his idea so far is claim everything's a security. And, you know, we've all talked about this ad infinitum. Um, And now we have to go through the courts to prove otherwise. But it seems that political pressure has been rising. And I think this is the crucial point. The political pressure is rising to say, you know, you can't stop all innovation. So the easiest way to do it is he's already set up Bitcoin to say, listen, I don't think Bitcoin's a security. Therefore, I will allow the ETF. And that... I think he's hoping reduces the heat on him um, and therefore he can continue with his crusade against everything else and I think that's you know I think Blackrock and everybody else got the nod is like listen we we will accept this because politically we want to accept it because we've got an election next year and we don't want to use every lose every single young voter who's been involved in crypto over the last 3 years so I do think it goes through um, I do think that it attracts new capital into the space that spreads throughout the whole space. It's not a Bitcoin only story. You're just bringing it into the new digital economy and then it, and it spreads out. Um, most of the institutions who invest in the space are really driven by price. So, as price rises, their propensity to get in goes up. So, you know, it's a function of that as well. Um, but overall, it's politics right now, but the big fight is still to come. You know, Brad Garlinghouse, Brian Armstrong, and a few others have a big fight to still have and that fight is incredibly important for people in the United States and for innovation in the United States within this particular technology. My guess is the AI space will have the same fight at some point as well. Uh, We have to see how all these play out Um, but somehow you know Congress needs to set a set of guidelines and that's what everyone's trying to force here now is we need a proper set of guidelines driven by Congress As opposed to the SEC and one man's idea of it. So look, it's a fascinating time. I think it's actually noise for the longer-term space. We've seen China ban, we've seen India ban, we've seen all sorts of changes over time. And in the end, it doesn't stop anything, because the technology is like water, it flows everywhere. People find use cases for it, find opportunities, and over time it gets adoption. So my general thesis is, it's all noise, Some way, they will be, because it's politically unacceptable to shut out a large part of the young population, they will acquiesce to certain terms and conditions. It also helps that the UK, which has been the largest competitor of the US in financial market terms, and in fact has generally been the leader when the US has stumbled, is hot on the heels saying, well, if you don't want them, we'll take them. And with a country that's proven regulatory arbitrage over time and how they can bring trillions of dollars to the UK, they will pursue that relentlessly. And I think the US will pay attention to that as well because I don't think going through an election, people want to see a whole technology leaving. Mm.
0: Dave, I saw you give a, a clap as Raul was speaking, and Joe, I saw you put a thumbs down. So maybe Dave and Joe, I'll let you respond to what Raul said before I wrap the show. Uh, Dave, you want to go first? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to comment on
5: the uh, ETF thing, and Joe and I have disagreed with that, and we've, we've, we've fought about that on other spaces. Let's just let's just leave that one live. But I think that there are a bunch
0: of things... What's the, what's the outcome of the fight? What's the, what, Dave, what's the outcome of the fight between you and Joe in one sentence?
5: The, the SEC, that Gensler is going to try to take a win by claiming that he's uh, gotten the security, you know, the surveillance sharing that he wants. And I think Raul is essentially going to end up being correct that it's going to be driven by politics, not by anything else but but i think that, that a couple of things that rule said which are very profound that you guys are going you're kind of dancing around it you know when you look at and, and i just go back to the beginning of the space when he was talking about stuff the fact is there's a difference between confidence and and how that affects the crypto markets is really important so like nasdaq recovered the all-time highs crypto didn't because nasdaq didn't have luna and all those failures and ftx uh we are still in we are now seeing the people who put their heads in at CoinRoutes, you know we 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 service institutional traders and help them trade better right so you know we were kind of a ground zero for this we saw a huge number of people who were you know major players pull back and say i'm not going to touch this and every one of them that didn't go bankrupt now is retooling and getting ready to restart you know crypto trading and crypto investing those green shoots of confidence have oomph to a crypto rally where it could catch up to where NASDAQ is. That, that's generally my bull case on top of where we'll sit. And when you talk about, you guys are talking about you know coins and tokens, and and by the way, I'm with Ran on the infrastructure play, you know trying to pick winners and losers. The fact is, is the other big point here is people over, someone was talking about how you could pivot, and Ran, the one place I disagree with you is companies don't pivot very frequently, and most of the time when they pivot, they die. Uh, but an open-source movement can be very resilient. And so if you build a true open-source platform, which is what we need in AI, uh, then that will be something. The problem is there isn't one there. And that's why the market structure in crypto and the ability to make and fund open-source and bootstrap to compete with big tech is such a big deal. But anyway, those are big, mud of conversations, which we can explore in other ones, but I just want to kind of get those ideas, teasers out there.
9: Joe? Yeah, so uh, thanks for Let me respond to this one. So first off, I, I agree largely with Raul about this. I don't think this is the end or you know, it's going to be, you're not going to see any more of these uh, tokens get launched and issued and other assets, digital assets let, issued. That's not really my forecast at all. However, regarding the ETF, I don't think the logic really holds up that you've primed the pump for an approval. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, we got a piece of information just last week in a rather unprecedented way the SEC through leaked sources apparently to the Wall Street Journal basically said that the current applications are not sufficiently detailed enough. That is bizarre that they would take the links to signal to the market at that, at that length that they don't, they don't believe. Well, the why, why would they do that? I, uh, the only reason is to tamper down expectations for the ETF. There's no other explanation for that. So if they were going to take a political win and green like this, you would not have them go through unorthodox channels to push this into the market. They would have just let it continue to fester and, uh, you know, uh, quietly while they position themselves for what will be a rather significant policy shift. The other issue is I think you got to remember the SEC is in active litigation as we speak, still waiting on a decision in the Grayscale case. Grayscale is trying to convert to an ETF, the WTC is trying to convert to an ETF, and for them to come out and approve Uh, competitive actors in the space and uh, be seen as showing favoritism toward BlackRock and other entities while you have a major piece of litigation that is pending an appellate court ruling. I I don't know how that makes any sense from a litigation perspective. I don't know why enforcement of the SEC or any other approval division would would allow that to happen. It seems like a completely contradictory policy. If your plan was, as Raul suggested, to greenlight the ETF and use that for political purposes as a win to pacify segments of the population interested in uh, Bitcoin or crypto lo- at large, then why wouldn't you file a civil pleading saying, you know, we're reversing our policy position on this and backing down in the appellate court rather than take a big loss, which could theoretically still come in the Grayscale versus SEC suit? So it, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense logistically. And f- and finally, the thing I think is most problematic is you've got active litigation in the SEC versus Coinbase suit, where the SEC has taken the position that Coinbase is not a broker dealer, they're not a registered clearinghouse, and not a registered exchange. Now, if you point to the BlackRock filing as somehow being, uh, you know, acceptable to the SEC, and that will eventually go through, why would they take a position that the very custodian and surveillance sharing agreement and exchange is not licensed to operate in the United States? That will somehow pacify their concerns about a surveillance sharing agreement of sufficient market size. So there's too many things that don't add up with the train of logic that this is Gensler's way of, you know, priming the market or somehow... uh, uh, pacifying the market by letting something go through. I think it doesn't make sense.
0: Um, we'll go to to, to to kind of wrap up with, uh, we've got two Bitcoin, I'm going to use the word maxis for lack of a better term. Huddle and TXMC, good to have you guys. I think first time on the Crypto Town Hall. Final quick words um, your thoughts on what was discussed so far before I thank our guests and, and special guest Raul and, and uh, wrap up the space. TXMC, do you want to go first? Sure, Mario. Thanks for having me here. I, uh, I'll get up on the stage
10: because... Of some conversation earlier that it's now transitioned more to be more crypto specific but you guys were talking about earlier recession risk and markets being forward looking and pricing those things in and uh you know the events of last year and how the, i think it was someone on the stage here ran or mario someone expressed a view that that was the market pricing in the risk of recession and looking ahead and building all that into the price and uh, i didn't hear anyone present the view that i have which is that that is ridiculous um and i think what happened last year was not the market pricing in a recession we did have a couple of negative quarters of real gdp at the beginning of the year which makes some people question if it's a recession but i think we can all agree it wasn't one um but it came at the same time as the end of zero policy in an inflationary environment and so what did we get we got the light speed repricing of all assets globally at a record pace, right? Stocks and bonds, everything correlation one, and it went down. That was not the market pricing in a recession. That was the market pricing in the end of zero rates and higher inflation and what that means for valuations, uh, as, as well as the shock from the Ukraine war and whatever else was going on with energy prices. But, but that's not my point. My point really is that if we're gonna talk about a market being forward looking and a market pricing in recessions, and you know, a lot of the talk in these spaces particularly around crypto, is around market cyclicality and the patterns of history. And I don't think there's enough people doing the research for what that looks like in the economy, which has its own cycles and its own patterns of history. And when you look at what's going on, when you look at the measures of the U.S. economy, the cyclical aspects are dragging lower. Those are the pieces that generally lead us into a recession, right? Things like industrial production, real manufacturing sales, real retail sales. Those things are all, they've peaked, they've gone flat and other aspects of the economy still look strong. Things like labor, people are really focused on those aspects. Um, But I've done a lot of work over the last year to research this phenomenon of recessions, what they look like. There's a lot of consistency to them. And I I think that one of the biggest takeaways when you actually look at the data and you look at the charts is that there is no example in history of the market pricing in a recession before it got here. It just doesn't happen. Uh, the market is forward-looking based on the information it has today and what it can glean about what the future looks like, right? So it prices things in based on that. But it is not capable of pricing in significant economic downturns. And what I find hard to stomach is the idea, and it and it's not an attack on anyone on this stage because I think this is a pretty common belief, but but people don't maybe take the time to really look into the validity of it. Um, This idea that the market can uh, uh, know that a recession is coming, uh, visualize how bad it's going to be and price that into everything, The, the asset values go down. And then we all just move forward and people just begin buying those same assets again when we haven't actually had the recession that they priced in. I just think it's kind of a ridiculous idea.
0: And so if you look back all the way back so, to- so essentially what you're saying, so so what you're saying, and that's interesting, and because I do want to wrap up and maybe get Huddle's thoughts, but that's a good point. And, oh, actually at least an interesting point is that the market is forward looking, but what you're saying TXMC is that people are just fundamentally not able to tell the future. So even though the markets are forward looking, the market is made up of many way, people, but-, but people um you know we're not designed to be able to tell the future. Is that what you are kind of implying? They're not designed to tell the future, but but also people are just not
10: looking in the right places and there we're on a path that that all prior recessions have followed and in fact the window of time for it to happen is still considerably further out in the future we have another year of time where we have where history is replete with examples of downturns that have occurred in this window of time and this window is valid for at least another year where we have solid examples I think everyone's really eager to move on from the events of last year to declare this a bull market, which is the title of your space. But if you look at markets in recessions, first of all, the S&P is not a, a harbinger of the economy. There's no price on the S&P that will tell you we won't have a recession. And it's in 8% MS3, from the all time, high. In, uh, right. my last point May and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up. My, I'll land the plane here. The only time the, every recession since Great Depression. The bottom of the market came during the recession, not before. There's only one time that that was since when since since when is that the case is when uh... So uh, my research goes back to 1929. And in literally every single recession with one example that I'm about to tell you, the bottom was during the recession. It was not before because markets do not price them in. The only time that that was not true was 1945. And the reason we had a recession is because the federal government canceled war spending because we won the war and we had a massive public side deficit but the private sector continued to grow and we didn't have unemployment and the market yep. goes the whole time but hey Mark, just another
0: example yeah, yeah, six, yeah hold on yeah, can... yeah so joe go ahead
9: real real quick just one one, distinct. if the market's forward looking why in may of 2008 were we eight percent from an all-time high after Bear Stearns had already collapsed, after you were on the verge of systemic risk in the banking system, or 8% after a massive rally. Uh, Okay, so explain to me how the market was forward looking in May of 2008. Tell me how it was anticipating another bull cycle.
10: Right. So you brought me up here as a Bitcoin maxi, but really, I wanted to talk about the
0: economy. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And and there's actually a lot more we can can say about- Yeah, jump in, jump in. Yeah, we do this daily, so jump in tomorrow, man. I would love to get your thoughts. And we do a finance space before this one. I think about 8 a.m. ET, e- e- so jump into that one. EST huddle. Um, going to wrap it up with your thoughts on Bitcoin before, and then I see Michael jumping in. Just quickly, we we'll wrap up the space huddle. Uh, good to have you.
11: Yeah, hey Mario, Mario, I'll be, I'll be I appreciate it. Bro. Um, I know you're trying to wrap the space. So you know, I I wanted to say that strangely enough, I agree with Raoul about the trends that are happening uh, in both identity and crypto going offshore. And the thing I want to put out to your space, since I know you guys are mainly crypto maxis and, you know, we're Bitcoin maxis, is the thing I'm worried about is the social credit score coming to Ethereum. I think Ethereum, because it's not state resistant, is sort of racing towards state capture. And I'm worried deeply about the design principles that are going to be in these Ethereum identity systems. So I agree that this is a trend. Uh, The European Union wants it. The American government wants it. The World Economic Forum wants it. Everybody wants a driver's license for the internet. And Ethereum is going to do it. Uh, they're going to do it, in my opinion, decentralized in name only. And it'll basically be a backdoor system for social control of the West. So I really want you guys to think about that as investors. Well,
0: what a, a bump to draw to, to drop Huddle as we end this space. I don't, I'll try to make sure it no de- doesn't kick off a debate. But um, probably something we want to bring up in a future space. And the same invite I I sent to TXMC, you know, you're welcome to jump in our space anytime, man. It's a pleasure to have you. And, uh, I I will wrap the space. Michael, do you have anything to add mainly about the economy before I I end the space?
6: Yeah, I just was going to echo what was just said by apparently, uh, I, I think it was, um, TXMC that the markets don't actually discount forward expectations of a recession, they discount States. We see this in everything, ranging from interest rate policy, where you know the headline is that the market is pricing in X number of cuts. That's not actually what's priced at all. The market is priced for 16 cuts with low probability
0: and zero cuts with high probability. For Michael, example. does the market, as Noel said, does the market price in uh, uh, pricing a bull market or at least in a, in a, a growth phases, and the prices in good news? Um, Or because Noel was talking about the market pricing in good news, but struggling to price in negative news or recessions.
6: It, it, It doesn't do either,
0: right? What it responds
6: to is flows. So if I give money to somebody who is inherently bullish and wants to allocate to technology... They're going to buy stocks and invest in technology. If I give it to somebody who is going to be bearish and invest in bonds and hold cash, then that money's not going to make it to the stock market. If I withdraw because I'm facing a loss of job, etc., that's going to show up in the prices. Mm-hmm. And if, as we have right now, you have a situation in which those who are facing mark-to-market losses, for example, commercial real estate or uh, SPAC investors or anyone else, are desperately
0: trying to avoid realizing any loss... And the markets will price that in very, very slowly. No, Cool. Uh, well, Michael, I appreciate you wrapping up the show. Everyone, we'll see you again tomorrow. I just want to thank our special guest, Raul Powell, for jumping in again. Raul, it's been a pleasure. And, um, you know, always got an open invitation to the show. Thanks for dropping by. And um, for the rest of the panel, appreciate you all joining. We'll see you again tomorrow. And for the audience, just uh, too late to check the pinned tweet. So just DM me or Ran um, if you want to jump on the show, work with, incub- with our incubator or sponsor the show. Just hit us up via DMs. Otherwise, we'll see you again tomorrow, same time. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye, everyone.